Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the rain yesterday, but we really appreciate the sunshine today. Lord, we thank You for yet another season. Although we thank You for that with a, with a kind of hard heart, Lord. We want You to come back and we want You to take us to our heavenly home. Lord, we want to do everything that we can to hasten that work and we ask that You guide us in such a way. Lord, as we finish today, please give us wisdom and guidance, not only in this seminar, but in everything that we do. Please guide our steps. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The who, what, when, where of estate planning. This is day five. So where have we been? On Monday, we started out with estate planning made simple. I provided you with an outline sheet of terms. But these are terms that you're not going to see in a legal document or a legal dictionary. These are terms I kind of made up. I used the basic language, but I used more of a simplistic term for it. doesn't mean that the terms aren't important. It just was an ability for us to speak the same language as we were going through this. The next day, we talked about who has the power of course, we know that God has the power in all things, but in our earthly world, we also know that we need powers of attorney. We talked about powers of attorney for financial and powers of attorney for health care. The next day, we talked about who do you trust, and we talked about trusts and the issues that surround trust and whether you need a trust or not. And I had to come up and say to you, when I get the question, do I need to trust? I say, I don't know because we need to know your circumstances, we need to know your goals. A trust is not a one-size-fits-all, and quite frankly, um, many people that have trust don't need them. Then yesterday we talked about what is your will, and we talked about wills. Now, both on the day of trust and the, both the day with powers of attorney, we were able to finish, but we had a little carryover. We're going to have a little carryover from wills. I want to talk to you about a few small things before we move on to today's. So, somebody will come into you and say, I am the administrator of the will, the executor of the will, or the personal representative of the will. You know what? They're probably all the same person. But there's a little bit of distinction. An administrator is usually somebody that's appointed by the court. So in the old days, we used two different terms. We used the word executor, and people understood that term. But an executor may be an executor because they were named in a will, but they may not be an administrator because they may never have been appointed by the court. So there's a little bit of a distinction. We still use the word administrator, but for the most part, we've gotten rid of that term. We use the word personal, or the term personal representative. That term came to be in Michigan in 1999 when they redid the probate code. So today, if somebody says, I am the personal representative of somebody's will, that means that they're the person that's in charge. They may or may not be an executor because the court may not have officially appointed them. They may have gone through informal probate where we don't have an actual court hearing or a court rule. It is more words. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) 
Um, the other thing that you're going to hear, and I said it quite a bit yesterday, and I think I made the distinction, but we amend a trust. We do a codicil to a will. A codicil is just an amendment to a will. The word um, heir and devisee confuses people. Not just you. I know many, many attorneys that this confuses. A devisee is a person who is left assets in a will. Sometimes we use the word devisee in a trust, but it's not really correct. So if I were to leave you something in my will, you would be a devisee. Now, we are not related, right? So you are not my heir. An heir is somebody that would take pursuant to either blood or by law. Now, the funny thing is a devisee is always a devisee. An heir is always an heir. But occasionally, an heir is also a devisee. So my children are my heirs, right? They would take by blood and by law. But if I don't include them in my will, they are not devisees. We only give into heir at law because that would take about an hour to even explain. We are all children of Abraham. <laughs> um, one last thing I want to tell you, and this is in the second to the last of your term sheet, oral will. Currently not recognized in Michigan. The word currently there is intentional. I don't know where this is going to be in many years from now. Uh, we're getting close to digital wills, so it may be coming. But I want to draw your attention to the parenthetical. If you can say it, you can write it down. Right now in Michigan, it's got to be written. It's got to be written in some form. And what I say by some form is there's a couple cases out there that says digital wills may be okay. Maybe. As far as this class, as far as your lives, go in, have the will written, have it witnessed, and if you have the ability, have it self-affirmed, which means there's a notary paragraph that's got the language that says you're of 18 years of age, you're of sound mind, you understand what you're assigning, and nobody has coerced you to sign the document. Once you have that, the notary signs it, the witnesses sign it. If you take that one to court, you will win virtually every time. Virtually every time, not all the time. Yeah. I hate that. Who you need to be your witness is you need to have somebody that's independent, that you can find in the future if need be, and that they're younger than you. Um, when I first started the law firm, um, my first secretary was a little bit older than I was by many decades, and she would be a my witness and my notary. Finally, I went to my managing partner. I said, this isn't going to work. <laughs> um, and many times she's older than my clients, <laughs> and she's definitely older than me. We're going to have a problem if we ever have her as a witness. She was reassigned the next day. <laughs> okay, so today, when and where do I start? Where do I go from here? So we've talked about your major estate planning documents, and we even talked about documents that you can have that pass outside of estates, like ladybird deeds and holding things jointly. So where do I start? But more importantly, when do I start? When? Today. Literally today? Maybe. But I want you to start considering this. 
Start your play, state planning today. This is one of my favorite quotes. I've never figured out who uh, provided it, so I can't cite it, but don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Why this is important is, if you recall the sermon from last Sabbath, there was kind of an indicator of estate planning in it. And that is, there was discussion as to you don't know when you're going to pass, right? And we understand this as Christians. We understand on keeping our heart pure, being Christ-like, because you don't know when you're going to pass. It's the same for estate planning. Um, this is one of those issues that it's so easy to put off. I've tried to keep this upbeat. I've tried to keep it somewhat light. But it's a serious issue, right? And it's depressing. Nobody wants to do this. I gave you the example of my wife. She just did not want to come in to do this. Why? It's depressing. you got to think about your death. But remember, the only document that even deals with death is your will. The rest of the documents that we talked about deal with your lifetime. Be prepared. You only need a piece of paper when you need it. You're only going to need your power of attorney when you need it. And the problem is, is when you need it, you don't have the ability to sign it at that point because something has happened in your life that that document needs to be there. Somebody needs to step up and be your agent. Powers of Attorney for Healthcare, I'm going to tell you, is the most important document you can have. Second is a distribution for you upon your passing. Estate planning is about stewardship. If you want to be a good steward, you're going to take care of your assets. How big of a deal is this? Um, I was floored, literally floored. Um, my daughter, Samantha, helped me prepare this. And she asked me a really good question. She goes, when should I do my will? She turned 20 yesterday. She understands it. Now, are other people in her class going to be like that? Am I going to have a rush of 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds? Probably not. But at least she's forward-looking. She understands the issues. She understands the problems. She has that time now. She got to have it done again, maybe five, ten years now. Sure. She's going to have to review it. She thinks she wants to be married, and that's good. She's probably going to have children. That's good. She's going to be changing it. There's nothing wrong with changing your documents. I would actually argue the opposite. If you're not changing your documents, you're not living. Right? Because your life is going to change. You're going to have different assets tomorrow than you will today. I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, if, when you see me next year, if we're still here, I will guarantee you that your assets are going to be different next year. The only thing is I can't guarantee they're going to be better or more. <laughs> but they will be different. We know that. Life changes. Stuff changes. Um, our friend uh, that does um, investments not here today, he had to leave, but him and I had great conversations. You know, if you're investing, your investments go up and they go down. You don't watch it too much because it's a good day or bad day. So, start today. I want you to start by setting your goals. Setting your goals. 
and don't just say my goal is to do my estate planning in the near future. Don't just say my goal is I'm going to do them by November. Because remember, November doesn't have a year. <laughs> right? Set, set a month and a date. So set a goal. It's not only when you're going to get done by, but it's what is your estate planning goals? I've given you a lot of tools. What you have heard today and in the past four days is things that general practitioner attorneys don't know. Guarantee you the terms that we went through this morning, if I grabbed somebody that did property law, they wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between executor and personal representative. Wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between the administrator and executor, especially if they went to a Michigan law school because uh, estate planning is an elective in most Michigan law schools. So, yeah. So, these are fundamentals. You have the basic tools. So you should be able to say, what is my goal? Where do I want my assets to go? And how do I think that they should get there? Now, I don't expect you to say, well, you know, I think I should do a joint trust or I think I feel better with the two separate mirror image trusts. But you might decide, do I fit in the trust or non-trust? Do I fit in those criterias? And then when you talk to your estate planning professional, say, let's talk this through. Remember, these are your documents. You should be involved in the selection process. Um, one of the things I really don't like is when somebody comes in and says, tell me what I need and I'll sign it. No, you tell me what you want and I will help you get there. There's a huge difference in that. Now, I can't say that there's people that haven't built up relationships in the last 20 years or so that will come in and say, where do I sign? And they leave. That's, that's okay. But that's over a long-term relationship where we understand each other and I know what their goals are. So start with your goals. Write them down. If you want to leave everything to your children, great. If you want to leave a majority of the assets to your spouse, great. If you want to leave a majority of your assets to a charity or a church, great. But set your goal. And you know what? Just like your estate planning, your goals will change as your life changes. But you got to start with a goal of when am I going to do the documents and what do I think I need? The next thing that you need to do is you need to select your beneficiaries. But the most important thing in this slide or projection and, and backups and I want you to write this down. So, it's okay to say everything goes to my wife or my husband. Then the person that's helping you prepare the documents and talking it through will say, then where? You shouldn't give them that blank stare. Okay, you should have that decision made. And again, that's going to change. It may change. If you review your documents five years from now and you say, yeah, I'm not really happy with that beneficiary designation, that's great. If you've got a will, you're doing a codicil. If you've got a trust, you're doing an amendment. And if you've got a uh, pay on death or a beneficiary designation in one of your pass-through documents, you know, like life insurance, change the beneficiary. That's okay. But who are your backups? I love three levels. I love three levels. If I pass away, it goes to my spouse. 
If not for my spouse, it goes to my children equally. If my children and I aren't here, we call these ultimate distribution clauses. A lot of charities get a lot of stuff. Okay? I don't have any money. We already established that. But I've got a lot of life insurance. So, what are your backups? Yeah. Yes. An IRA, they will. You'll, you'll do a beneficiary form. So let's say you want to name an individual on your IRA. You can name the individual, your spouse or children. Be careful about minor children. We talked about that before. But your secondary or your backup beneficiary could be my estate. Or if you have a trust, name your trust. They'll give you the form. Contact. Yeah. Yeah. And what you've done is you've just probated that. So you've paid money twice. You've paid the fees for the IRA, right? If it's a traditional IRA, I'm assuming, because a lot of us don't have Roths. So you've paid the tax by having it transferred to the individual who you may want to had received it also, plus you're probating it. So that's a Monday thing, if not today. <laughs> Select your fiduciaries, personal representative, guardians, conservatives, trustees, agents, patient advocates, all those neat terms on your sheet. Choose them. And you know what? They may be different. If we haven't stressed this enough, the person that I have as my patient advocate is a very caring and compassionate person. The person I have set up for my financial person, I would not want to make my healthcare decisions because number one, they would put me in a uh, group setting. It would be like the old hospitals. I'd be in the same room with about 20 other people. He would have me getting generic drugs. <laughs> and probably wheeling me out in the hallway to get a discount at least once a day. And when it's time to pull the plug, they'd probably want to do it before noon if they could get a discount. <laughs> but do I have the right person for my financial? Absolutely. And the person for my health care wouldn't have those abilities. She just wouldn't have those abilities. And I got this question many of times while we were talking on Monday. Does it have to be my children? Absolutely not. Does it have to be your oldest child? Absolutely not. Look at their talents and their abilities. God gives each one of us talents, gives us each one of the abilities, and he also gives us what I would refer to as other options or other traits. So... Sometimes your strength isn't financial. Don't put somebody in that position. And talk to them. Let them know this is coming. Worst conversation, uh, second worst conversation. Worst conversation is with a spouse that her husband owned a lot of assets to explain to him or her that they're not all going to you under, under the lack of documents that you don't have. You don't have a will. It doesn't say you. It's intestate share, I'm sorry. And your kids, we're going to have to talk to them and see if they'll disclaim. But the next worst conversation is somebody comes in, says, 
mom or dad is um, not doing well. I've been told that I'm some type of power of something, and I've got to make some decisions. That's a hard conversation, because then you have to explain to them what that means. And then you know what you have to do. You have to pull out the pen and say, under Michigan now, we want you to accept. Not all the time do they accept it, because you didn't have the conversation. Yes? Correct. Her kids are stepchildren. They are not heirs. There has been a huge push to change the intestate succession. There's been a real push to get stepchildren put in. I think that there is an actual stepchildren um, lobbying firm. <laughs> I, I say that half-jokingly. It, it's amazing. There, there's some organization behind who's trying to get stepchildren put in. You mean can't children, the regular children and your stepchildren, can't be all included? They can, absolutely. And I don't want, yes, you stated, I don't want to have you leave this seminar without this thought. These are your assets. For the most part, you can do whatever you want with them. Right? So you can leave it to your stepchildren. You can, you can not even include your children. Um, we had a great conversation um, a couple days ago, and I had again yesterday. There's been a significant change in giving in not only this country, but throughout kind of um, what I'm going to refer to as the estate planning discussions, and that is many parents are not giving their assets to heirs. They're not giving a majority of their assets to their children anymore. And I don't know that this is true, but it, it seems a good tie. The Gates family have really changed this significantly. If you have never followed this, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates give very little assets to their children. A very small percentage of their assets are going to their children. Almost all of it goes to their foundation. Many of the wealthier people I represent not a lot of the assets go to their children. They've made that switch. They've given their children the ability to succeed on their own. They will give them a leg up, but they won't hold them up. And I think that this is going to change even more. And in the next many years, when the baby boomers finally were done with that generation, this will be, at least in this country, the greatest switch of wealth that we have ever seen. Now, they say in the world, I have a hard time believing that because I think if you adjusted for inflation, some of the early empires probably transferred a lot of wealth. So, but at least in this country, you're seeing a shift away from my oldest son gets everything because he's my oldest son. My children get everything because they have my last name. Now, I'm not telling you what to do with your assets. That's up to you. But it's a trend and it's something to think about. You know your family better than I do. And leaving everything to your children, that's great too. Um, and trust me, my children agree with that. 
designation. Now, when you choose your fiduciary, when you name them, actually write them out. You want to make your estate planning professional just smile beyond belief? Bring in one sheet of paper. I was going to bring a sheet of paper I received on, uh, I think it was Tuesday. She had her name. She had the date. But the really cool stuff is she said, this is what I want to happen. So she had her goal typed out in large enough font for some reason. I don't know about you guys, but I have to extend the paper. <laughs> My arms are getting shorter than they should. Um, the, we used to have an optometrist here in Edmore and was a member of Cedar Lake Church. He said a terrible term to me just before he left. He said trifocals. Only older people have trifocals, right? <laughs> they do work. <laughs> they work. So, she typed it out for me, but what she had is she had the name of all of her beneficiaries and backup beneficiaries. Middle initials, correct spelling, the family tree with their children underneath it, the spelling for them, and she had her designation of how she wants it to go. Then she put all of the people that were going to be in charge. She didn't use the exact right words, but I understood what she was saying. And all I did was I made a few notes on that piece of paper. This is a wonderful thing because we were communicating. We were saying the right language. We weren't going to have a spelling issue, hopefully. So when we went to look at the documents, you know, if there was an error that was maybe Billy G and it now says Billy M and she goes, no, you got this wrong and we can look at her paper. Maybe her paper says M. You don't push it. You just say, well, thank you. I appreciate the correction. But it helps tremendously for the people that are typing the documents to be able to see the names. This is a wonderful thing. And in some cases, it will save time for both sides, right? So, when you make your list, list out your beneficiaries, if you can do it a couple sheets of paper, that's wonderful. Bring a list of your assets. Kind of make that chart that I made up here yesterday. What are in your name? What are all the assets in your name? What are the assets in which have a beneficiary or a pay on death or held jointly? It's going to be very important. Now it's going to change. This is a snapshot of your assets as of this specific day. But at least you've got a list of assets. Bring your deeds to your property. If you need to talk about a ladybird deed, if you need to talk about anything like that, it's nothing worse than saying, here is a deed for my property. And you look at it, and it's not up to date. Also, please don't bring an abstract. Attorneys hate abstracts. I'm going to give you a secret. They're absolutely useless now. Nobody does abstracts anymore. They look neat. What an abstract is, is it's a pile of all the legal conveyances for your property. And people used to pay a lot of money. And what was great is it was the ultimate hazing of attorneys. When you were young and you just started out, they would put you in a basement or a room with no windows and they'd make you do abstracts. <laughs> now we have title companies, so we don't need abstracts. 
But don't bring in your abstracts. We'll smile at you and just say thank you and give you back. Plus, they usually smell, so you want to get them out of the office because they smell musty. <laughs> you know, get an idea what your bank accounts are. You would be amazed on how many people I talk to and say, how many bank accounts do you have? Well, I don't know. Because if you're living in Florida, you have one or two bank accounts in Florida, right? They always forget about the Florida bank accounts, don't they? <laughs> Investments accounts, titles to vehicles. Usually I'll ask somebody, how's your vehicles titled? You'll get that blank stare. Don't know. And you know what this does for you too? This also provides for your fiduciary. If you get this stuff together, if you make it all a list, the person that is in charge of your estate, they will actually know that you have a bank account in SunTrust in Florida. You know it's terrible when you're administering an estate and you have to wait for the 1099s to come in so you can find out what they actually own. Or you have to go to the accountant and say, what are they claiming interest on in, for taxes? Yes? Investment advice. Yeah. Every year sends me a bill for all the assets that I have in the account. So I call him up. I say, wait a minute. I don't owe this annual. He said, I know you don't. But if you're not here, the people who are left will say, wow, I better check this life Yes. And then they realize that you have that. Yep. No, great, great idea. I didn't put it on here intentionally, but life insurance. If you've got life insurance, my guess is you don't know where your policy is. How many people know exactly where your life insurance policy is? You don't count. You don't count either. <laughs> you organize your sock drawer. You don't count. <laughs> She's not a guess. I do. <laughs> So, okay, a survey out of this room, we had about three. We're at 10%, maybe at best. If you don't know where your policy is, ask your agent. Get it. They'll get you a copy. Yeah. But, great job, right? But, that's important. It's important to know where your policy is and who is it. So, this is where you start. So, if you got it, you make a list of what you want with your goals. But what's your first goal? Your time frame, right? When are you going to do this? Now the next question you have is, choosing somebody. Before we go there, this is one of the questions I have gotten. What's the difference between an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney? My quick answer is about $50 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> One's a little bit more expensive than the other. Um, and sometimes, well, sometimes they flip back and forth. Well, for a while, elder law attorneys were spending, were being charged more because it was a new term, so they got to charge more. Then the estate planning attorney says, well, that's not fair. We actually do more than you guys, so they up the rates. So this ended up being a battle of increase of rates for about two or three years. So what's the big difference? Um, Elder law attorneys is kind of a new term. This is when we talk about Medicare and Medicaid. This is when we talk about governmental benefits. Um, most elder law attorneys also do estate planning. Not all. 
most estate planning attorneys do elder law, but not all. Now, what's great in Michigan is we have a continuing legal education uh, organization. I've gotten a estate planning um, certificate through them. I went through a bunch of courses, um, did a lot of practical work. It took a while to get it, but I've got a certificate. They've now started an elder law attorney certificate in Michigan. It's been going for almost about a year. Reason why is I think that the organization needs more money. <laughs> but it, it is good to go to somebody that knows what they're doing. When you talk to your estate planning professionals, and I say estate planning professionals because it's not always attorneys, find out the percentage of their practice that's dedicated to estate planning. I know many general practitioners that are great at estate planning. They can do wonderful wills. Uh, actually, a good friend of mine is in a bank. He's an attorney. He's got his master's in tax. He's one of the most brilliant people I know. Um, he doesn't act as an attorney. He acts as a trust officer. Brilliant individual. Um, many times I will borrow his, his language and his documents. Like a financial advisor, or is that something totally different? He's a trust officer, so he works for a number of banks. He'll go in and set up their estate planning portion of their bank. So, an estate planner could also be a financial advisor. They could, yeah. And usually, what we talk is we talk about your estate planning team. You know, you'll have your um, accountant, you'll have your financial advisor, you'll have the attorney or somebody that works for a trust department, somebody like that. They'll get together. If you've got a big enough um, plan, we'll actually meet quarterly and make sure things so are going. The same person for all three of them. They're going to charge more. <laughs> eh, probably not. But you know, it's a good observation. How long have they been practicing, or how much time do they dedicate, and what do they charge for services? There's three ways that you get charged for services. Um, Flat fee, um, hourly rate, and this pops back and forth. Um, for a while, the trend was to charge a flat fee. Um, now it seems to be going back to hourly rate or free. And we'll talk about free in a minute. Stay on track. Once you start, stay on track. Schedule your follow-up appointments. Um, I brought one of my cards as an example. When you would come into my office, we schedule your next appointment. You don't leave without getting your next appointment because you gotta stay on track. And usually it's either to review your documents or it's to sign your documents. But let's face it, you probably don't wanna do this anyway, right? Human nature. Um, you got your first appointment. There's so many times that I've had the situation with colleagues that they'll say, you know, I've got a stack of estate planning documents in my office where people came in, we prepared them, and they haven't come in. Or, this is my next favorite, and this comes from the story that we talked about on Monday. I have a trust. Where is it? I don't know, but I have a trust. I've never signed it, but I have a trust. I have a will. Where is it? I don't know, but I have a will. You find out that it's been sitting in the attorney's office or some trust department for the last decade unsigned. So stay on track. Review your documents. Um, I don't recommend that you just sign. Review them. 
Understand your documents. Ask questions. Now, you're much more educated than when you came in, maybe, beginning of the week. But when it says, I revoke any previous wills or codicils, you'll know what that means, right? But if you don't, didn't know what the word codicil is, what's that word? What does codicil mean? So stay on track. And then, I've always been of the theory that these are your documents. You have to do two things. You have to understand what they say, but the most important is they have to say what you want. Okay? These are your documents. I don't have this on here because this is really talking about starting it, but review, review, review. Pull out your documents every five years at a minimum. Depending on your age, statistically you will change your documents between three and five times. My daughter Samantha, when we do her will, will probably change at her age, I would say, eight times. There's not a lot of data for people under the age of 25 because they just don't do documents. But I think that's going to change. Maybe we'll tell millennials it's cool. Right? <laughs> All the time that you're not spending looking for jobs, you can do your estate planning. <laughs> we'll get that one cut out for the audio. <laughs> um, right. So, I'm actually sponsored here today um, and for this week. And Pastor Nephew and Pastor Hull um, gave me an opportunity to come here. I really appreciate it. Um, so it's been really a pleasure being here. But I want them to talk to you a little bit more about what their department does. And then afterwards, if we have some time for questions, we can field some questions. And uh, like usual, I'm going to stay behind. Uh, I can be here for a while. My next presentation is in, for a while, and it's at the primary department. So. Well, have you appreciated Matt? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. When I, I met Matt at a lay advisory, and uh, I did not know that he was an attorney as we were eating breakfast, I think it was, and uh, he was asking me what I do, and I asked him what he does, and, and I said, man, we got to sit down and talk. So um, we actually did, Pastor Hall and myself mate, met Matt for lunch one day, and I learned more in that lunchtime than I've been five years of this this department that I'm in. And I said, we got to get him to come here and share. Um, and I'm just so glad he, he's come. Thank you, Matt. So, Pastor Hall and myself, um, I'm the director. He's my associate for the Plan Giving Trust Services Department for the Michigan Conference. We have two other individuals that work in our office with us. Casey McFarland is our secretary. And then Mona Hickman is also, and she's not necessarily a secretary, she's kind of a step up, she's also a trust officer with us. But um, what we do for you, and it is for you that we serve, um, we help you with your estate planning needs. Now, you don't have to worry. I don't put Pastor Gene in the corner and say, okay, you need to write, a, write these documents up for, for Matt. No, we have attorneys that do that. So let me just interject that at the beginning. But I want to give you just an overview of how this works. Okay, It is a free service that we do for our members, and not just our members, 
You may have a spouse that's not a member. You may have a child. You may have a parent that's not a member. Um, we do documents for them too. And we don't charge. The reason why we do that is because we believe it's just a great avenue to just share God's love with them and show them that they can be a part of this as well. But what we do is this. You have to contact us. We do have cards here. And maybe, did anyone not get one of these cards yet? Maybe, Gene, can you hand, hand those out? Um, one of them. You contact us through this card, through a phone call, through an email, and say, you know, Pastor Joel, Pastor Gene, uh, we, we'd like to get our estate planning documents in place. We will contact you, we'll give you a phone call, talk with you, interview with you on the phone just a little bit to find out what your needs are, what direction you're looking, what do you need? Well, I just want a power of attorney for health care, that's all I want. Okay. Um, have you thought about the other documents? We'll set an appointment with you to come to where you are. Okay? So we come to where you are. Even if it's in the UP, we, we, we'll come to you. And we'll sit down in your home. Prior to that, we will send you some documents, a family information form, another document called Points to Ponder, to get you to start thinking in the arena that we've been talking about this week. Okay? Um, you fill those things out the best you can. We'll come sit down with you. It takes 45 minutes to an hour um, of your time to sit down with you and your spouse, or if it's just you. And we'll a series of questions. Uh, the same things that Matt has been talking about this week. We'll ask you. We'll write those things down. We get that to the attorney. And right now we have um, Patty McKinney that is working with us. She's an Adventist attorney out of Grand Rapids area. Um, Vern Elger, many of you know Vern. He's been around for a long time. He's trying to retire, so we're, we're not putting so much towards him. Um, usually we bring towards him things that are maybe a little more complicated than the trust realm. Um, and we're looking for some other attorneys <clears throat> to help us. Matt? <laughs> um, as well. But what happens is then we get that to the attorney. They'll give you a phone consultation. So you don't have to go to their office. They'll call. They'll go through all the information that we wrote, wrote down. Just because we wrote it down doesn't mean that that has to stay that way. By the time we leave and Patty calls or whoever the attorney calls, you may have changed your mind on something, and that's absolutely fine. This is just a starting point. You dialogue with the attorney. You work through that. They'll draft the documents. They send a draft to you. And I encourage you to read through it. Don't just, well, everything's fine. No, read through that. Because maybe there's a misspelling or maybe you've changed your mind again. You work with the attorney on that to get that document how you want it. Once that's done, they send those documents to us. We put them in a nice little binding for you. We'll call you, set up an appointment to come to where your home is to have them signed. Okay? So it's pretty painless. Um, we do all the driving, so you don't have to. And uh, we're there to serve you in that capacity. Now, what we do, when I say free, um, our estate package is a will, power attorney for finance, power attorney for medical. That's what we will pay for. Now, you may need a trust. If the attorney tells us, you know what, this family, they need a trust, that's got to go to our TMAC, our Trust Management Acceptance Committee, and that has to be okayed. If they okay it there, then we pay for that trust to be um, created for you. But maybe you want to trust, you really want to trust, 
you really, really want to trust. And the attorney says, they don't need a trust. But you want to trust. What we'll do is that um, we'll let you work through the attorney to draft that because the attorneys, and I thank them for this, they give us a reduced rate from what they charge the public. Um, so, because they see it as ministry and ministry to God's people. So you can work through the attorney to do that, but you would have to pay for that if, if the attorney doesn't think you need one. Um, deeds, again, you can work through the attorney, but deeds, you would have to cover the cost of deeds. What we cover is a will, poverty for finance, poverty for medical, and a trust if the um, TMAC, we call it, um, okays that. Yep, the power attorney for, for medical, power attorney for finance. Yep, we do those as well. And revisions, it's very easy. If you need to make some revisions, you just call us. Usually time, usually revisions, we can just take care of that over the phone, get to the attorney. But sometimes some folks think, oh, I want you to come and sit down at my table. And we'll come, we'll sit down at your table, and we'll walk through it together. Um, but we're here to serve you in that capacity. And you may be wondering... And a couple other things. So what's what's the catch? You know, it's free. Nothing's free, right? So what's the catch? Oh, you want us to leave 50% to the church unrestricted, right? No. You don't have to leave anything to the church. And we'll still do it free. Now, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because we believe that you're already faithful. If you were if you're not faithful already with your tithes and offerings, you know what? At that point, I can't force you to be faithful. So that's up to you. It's between you and God. But we look at this as a service. It's a, it's a benefit. It's a gift back to you from your church for being faithful. And again, we don't look at your records. We don't go the, across the hall to the treasury department and say, hey, is uh, so-and-so, are they paying time? No, we don't ask that. That's all between you and God. But we do it free. You don't have to leave anything to the church. Yeah, we're glad when you do because it keeps the work going forward. Right? Because... The reality of it is, is what? It's this. You don't own it anyway. It's not yours. So we're hoping that you prayerfully consider, Lord, you've given me all these assets, or these few assets. I want to be faithful. Because it's really your last stewardship statement is your will. Your last stewardship statement. Now, Jesus is coming for only one kind of person. You know what kind of person that is? A faithful steward. That's... He's not coming for anyone else but a faithful steward. Why? Because he wants to trust you with eternity. And if he can't trust you with a mere little bit of money you have here, the few assets, he can't trust you with heaven. He can't trust you with new earth. And he said the curse will not rise a second time. The reason is because only faithful stewards will be there. So I'd encourage you, prayerfully consider, Lord, how do you want me to manage your stuff? How do you want me to do this? Because it is His. And it would be a terrible thing for you to die, having all these assets, and give it to a place that, you, that the Lord's like, oh. and when He comes, He's like, I don't know you. So be, you know, I encourage you, give now, and in your documents, support the Lord's work as well. Gene, you want to add anything to that? Yes, I'll let Gene talk about that. That's, that's something else we do too. Uh, do you know what a CGA is? No. <laughs> a CGA is an acronym for a charitable gift annuity, and, and feel free to correct me at any time, because I'm not an attorney and I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm going to share with you the little bit that I have learned. Um, 
most of us in this room are retired or getting close to it and at least can see it in the in the front view mirror. <laughs> um, statistics show that for retired people, their first number one fear is their health, right? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get dementia or whatever? Or am I going to die? What do you think the second most feared thing for retired people is? Running out of money. And so we don't want to run out of money because then what are we going to do? Our kids will have to take care of us or we'll be uh, in that 20-bed place, you know. So most financial advisors that that I've heard of, your portfolio, they suggest changes as you get older so that when you get towards retirement years, you have less in risk options and more in fixed options where you're not going to get paid as much income, but you're not going to lose it either. So if the stock market crashed badly like it did, I'm not sure what year it was, 2006 or 7 or somewhere around there, and it went down, I think, 40% or something like that. You don't want that to happen if you're retired because your resources get drained down. But you can't get anything for fixed interest. You know, if you put money in a savings account at the bank, how much can you get? 1%, one and a quarter or something like that? Lake Union Revolving Fund, I think, is 1.34 now, isn't it? So, But you can't lose that, but you can't make much off of it. Um, most financial advisors, I think, don't like CGAs either because, you know, they don't have as big of a payoff uh, option. But they they are guaranteed. So just to give you an example, a charitable gift annuity is where you will give money to a charity. If if you do it with us, then all that money goes to the conference to be distributed uh, where it's needed at the time of your death. You cannot get the money back from a charitable gift annuity. There's a contract. So that's one of the things you have to consider. If you're going to need that principle, then you, then you don't want to do a, a CGA. But if you're saying this, this is extra money, we, we wouldn't say put all your money in a CGA, then you have nothing in an emergency. But money that you feel like, I'm not going to need that principle and I want to get a bigger payoff and... I want to be charitable and leave something to God's work, then a CGA is is kind of a good situation because you can give it now, you get a percentage of that as a charitable gift deduction, and a portion of the payout that you get is non-taxable income. For instance, we just ran a mock-up for a couple that are 77 and 78 years old. The older you are, the higher percentage payout you're going to get because the government figures you're not going to live as long and so they'll give you more money up front. By the way, the government does set the rates. We don't do it ourselves. But the payout for that couple, and it was a two-life, which means that that both of them have to die before you know it ends. The payments continue as long as one of them is living. You can get a single life too even if you're uh, married. For them, it was 5.8% payout. But because more than half of that payout was non-taxable, the actual return was about 8%, meaning because they're not having to pay tax on a big portion of that payout, then it's really worth more because they're saving the, the tax money. So just wanted to share that with you. Again, this only works if you don't need to get that principal back 
and you want to give a charitable gift to the church as well. So you can you can give that gift up front, but be gaining income while you are still living. Does that make sense? So if you want more information about that, um, let us know. As I said, your financial advisor will tell you not to do that. Uh, you have to factor in that you want to give a charitable gift along with gain, gaining income while you're living. So question time. You don't have to answer now. It's a deeper question. No. I'm trying to figure out which pet peeve that is. I think it's four or five. <laughs> um, we want to be Christ-like in everything we do, and we're supposed to love everybody, right? You love your neighbor like you love yourself. I always say try to love your neighbor more than you love yourself, right? You can never go wrong that way. In-laws are always interesting. Um... They are experts in whatever you're doing. Um, my mother's friend just passed away, and her daughter-in-law is a clerk at a bank. She's a teller. She is the greatest estate planning expert you guys will ever meet. We should have actually had her here. Because her first idea is, why don't you just give everything to me? Well, your son, but give it to me, and we'll manage this for you. Um, I think it's always problematic when you go outside of the family. Now, there's everything's based on circumstances, right? One of my law partners, he passed away, but he had a better relationship with his ex-daughter-in-law than he did with his son. Um, got a friend right now, they're having some marital problems, the family has taken the side of the in-laws. But generally, I don't like putting that situation in there because number one, you lose control, you fall out of the airship, um, and there's different methods in which you could do this. Your parents could have a trust, and they could leave his share in there, and the trustee could use this asset, that portion of the assets for his special needs. It could be a discretionary distribution, so he may never get a share, right? The, his, your parents' successor trustee may decide uh, that they're going to buy a car for his benefit, but not give him the car. Um, they may decide that they're going to uh, pay for some additional medical care but they're not going to give the money to him. They're going to pay for his benefit. Completely legal, completely better way of handling it. Now you put a basically a paragraph about special needs and you refer to the federal statute in there, but do have done a quite a few of those, and it really is a much better way. Your parents don't lose control. He retains his benefits. And unless they make the daughter-in-law the trustee of his trust, which I don't recommend because it doesn't look good on its face, it, it just gets rid of some of those dynamics. Man, that was politically correct for a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Excellent question. Who holds the will? You have a couple choices. You can file it with the probate court. I don't recommend that. Uh, number one, they charge a fee. I should have told you I'm frugal. Uh, Christy uses terrible words like cheap. 
in other words. <laughs> um, but they, they charge you a fee, and you may change where you're living at. Um, I call it the hunt for will game. Uh, my secretary used to be really good at it. If you get one with a captain, Their new building is really cool. I was actually in it when they were building it. It's actually an old law office. They have a vault in which they can put all your original documents. So that's free. That's a good thing. Um, if you have a home safe, you can do that. I recommend that you give access or give the combination to somebody. I still don't dislike safety deposit boxes. Um, but again, in your power of attorney for financial, you give your agent access to your account and language that says that they can take documents out. So that's really important. Um, or I'm assuming most people put them in a box or a drawer somewhere. I don't recommend that. Um, actually, um, there's a term in the law called mattress deeds. Where do you think that term came from? <laughs> So what happened, so I, I told you a punchline, but I'll give you the update on it. So in the older days, what you would do is, and this was usually through farmers, you would have, let's say, three children. You would have um, a designation for your acreage to all three of your children. So you would sign the deed. You'd slip it under a mattress. Mom and dad pass away. You flip over the mattress of the bed. You hand out the deeds. You smile at me like you think I'm kidding. This actually was a valid estate plan. Now, what hurt it is when they changed the law that says, the moment I sign the deed, it's your property. I don't have to actually deliver it because we assume that you would accept the gift. So we don't use a lot of mattress deeds anymore, but I'm sure there's some out there. Anybody else? Well, like I said, I'll be uh, here afterwards for a while. You have been just an incredible uh, group of people to work with. Lots of great questions. Um, I have a term sheet up here. Also, if you need to get a hold of me and you just have some questions, I'll give you my phone number and email address. I got to say, for emails, um, sometimes it takes about a day or two to get back to you. I'm not one of those people that you're going to see walking around emailing. Uh, I type very slowly, so... Um, I will get back to you. Phone, you usually have to tell me who you are just because I deal with a lot of different people on my day job. So, uh, you know, usually somebody will call up and say, hi, this is Joel. And I'll say, in what context? Or, Joel, uh, you know, <laughs> how do I know you? <laughs> because I use primarily just one phone. I, I've brought everything to my cell phone now. So I'll get somebody from my day job. I'll get somebody from here from cleaning bathrooms, I'll get somebody I'll call for anything, so um, you'll just have to remind me who you are, and that's okay. It's, it's not you, it's me, trust me. Yes? Yes? No, it's anything that you transfer that would make you ineligible. Remember, for Medicaid, for the most part, you can have a home of any value. Now, there is a cap, but we usually don't hit that in Michigan. You can have a car of any value. You can have about $2,500, and you can have personal property. So anything that you have 
above that that you gave out in the last 60 months, they will bring that back in to the application process. I want. So I'm going to follow up on that one too. So I pass away. Let's say that I had $400,000 in medical expenses. They will look to any assets that I have that are probatable. So if I had the bank account with $2,500, they're probably going to put a lien on that. They will absolutely put a lien on my house if it goes through probate. And in doing so, my house probably is not going to be worth 400000 The heirs at law have an opportunity to step up and redeem the house. They don't take your house. They just give you a bill. I, I want to I tell you something. The government never takes your money unless you're in a tax violation situation. What they do is they just don't qualify you for Medicaid. They just say, you're not qualified. Or, we're not going to take your house. We're just going to give you a bill. And if you pay it in a certain amount of time period, you redeem the house. But the problem is, is most of the time we have the house that's valued here, and mom or dad have a tax bill way up, or a uh, care bill up here, and it's just better just to give the house to them and say we're not going to redeem it. Now, I want to do one more thing just to remind you about something. You're never responsible for somebody else's debts unless you are a co-signer or unless that debt is in your name. A lot of times I hear people will come in and say, um, I am the executor of mom and dad's estate, and I'll say, no, you're the personal representative. Um, and they'll say, okay, so they have $300,000 in debt. We have a house that's worth $100,000. I can't pay the $200,000 in debt. You're never going to have to pay it. There's no personal liability for you to be a fiduciary. Okay? Um, in those assets, what we do is it's just debt protection. Usually, uh, depending on the hierarchy of the debt, a portion of it gets paid, but not all of it. But you personally don't have any liability for that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. They may, but the person's already passed away. Oh yeah, I got this bill and I owe this. No, you don't know what. Yes. I I really don't like joint wills. They they're an old concept and they don't work when individuals own separate assets in their name. I should say it doesn't work well. Mechanically, they start to fall apart. Um, joint wills really, I think, lost their popularity because, you know, we're much more complicated than we once were. You know, we don't just have a bank account with both of our names on it and a house with both of our names on it. To some extent, that doesn't fit in most people's reality because retirement accounts were a big thing. So to have a joint will that says, once I die, you know, everything goes to you and you're in control and then once you die, everything goes however you want. The other problem with joint wills is how do they get amended? We usually never use them in a second marriage because I die, 
Um, I have a second spouse, and that person has a bunch of children. What do I think that the will possibly is going to look like when she does a codicil? So a lot of the times for estate planning, especially a blended family, you're really talking about heir protection. Not devisee protection, but heirs. You're trying to look at protecting for your child or children. And there's, you know, it's just a reality. There's usually a disparity of wealth. And a second marriage, one spouse usually brings more wealth or different wealth than the other. So there's that balancing too. So yes, two wills. Any other questions? Still saying that you would say that if you leave any of your career, at least the dollars that you can't protect Please do not do that. No, it actually makes it worse. You do not want to... His question's a good one. In the bad old days, what we would do... It really is pork and a porcupine. In the bad old days, what we'd do is we'd say, I'm going to leave my child a dollar. And that way they can't contest it. That doesn't really work. Um, and I've got to say, again, my family's got a lot of legal terms. My paternal grandmother was from Russia. Um, I can speak Russian to the amount I can curse. Because that's all I heard from her. She was a very hard woman. She specifically provided that not only did I get a dollar, which I never got, by the way, um, but she excluded my my predeceased father in her will, which she didn't have to do. She was a unique lady. But what she really did was she gave me a toehold to get into the estate if I wanted to. Because remember, if I'm named in the will, I'm now a devisee. And devisees in Michigan have a tremendous amount of rights under the new probate code. So I could run in when I get that final accounting. I've got $20. Well, she's paid a dollar of it, so all I have to do is bring $19. And I can contest everything. Where if I wasn't included at all, I may be an heir because it was my grandmother, but I'm not an heir in the succession. There were people ahead of me. So I always tell people, please, please, please do not do that. Now, I will tell you there's an opposite of this. If you're going to exclude your child, mention them. I am not providing for my child, Billy, not because of any lack of love and affection, but because of reasons known only to me, or some people want to write out the reasons. <laughs> Makes a will sometimes very long. I don't recommend that. More words. Um, one other thing I do want to tell you about, be honest with your estate planning professional. Um, if there's a problem in your family, tell them up front. I've got to say, one of the greatest tools I've done in the last many years is videoing the execution of documents. Nobody likes to do it. And with cell phones, most of the time we now use the cell phone. It's hard to prop them up, but you got to get the little stick and put it on there. But during the execution of documents, I'm going to pick on you. Do you understand why we're here today? Yes, I do. Why are we here? Are you say, okay, have you had an opportunity to review your will? Yes, you did. Actually, we met on this, 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 and this date. Yes? Yes. And you understand that you're not including Billy, right? 
tell me who your heirs are. Tell, tell me who your children are. Well, there's Billy and Janie and Fred. Why are you not including Billy? You know what? I've given Billy so much money during my lifetime, I don't think he's deserving of anything else. And you know what? He's got a lifestyle I'm not really happy with. And we talked about that. I'm willing to accept his decision, but it's not what I would decide. And that's why I'm not including him. Have you reviewed this document? Yes, I have. i got to ask you because they require. Are you over 18? Yes, I am. And has anybody threatened you to come here today? No. Is there anybody that drove you here today? No, I drove myself. Um, you know, I'm also going to ask you if you've consumed any drug or alcohol. What type of medications are you taking? When's the last time you took them? What have I done there? I've asked every single thing for the most part that we would have to do for a will contest. I've qualified the individual that's taken it. So what's going to happen is, I'm sorry if you die. You know how this story ended, right? <laughs> it's your last will and testament. Remember, the document's only good when you die. So you pass away. Billy's attorney calls me. The only question is when, right? It's before the funeral or after the funeral is the question. So I talked to Billy's attorney, and for the most part, I know most of the estate planning litigators, or at least I did. So he calls me up and I say, okay, game on. I'm going to send you a thumb drive of the will execution. I'm going to remind you of 2.114 in Michigan that says if you bring a invalid case, I get all my fees. Congratulations, this week I increased my fees for this file. <laughs> I'm now charging X per hour. Yeah, I'm going to send you this. Well, by the way, the thumb drive with postage is $10. I expect you're going to send that to my office. Um, but we've set the tone, right? We've set the tone. I told them, what did I tell them? I told them that it was, we knew there was a problem with Billy, so we videoed this. I told them that we're going to send you a letter with a bill, right? Because they've got to take some initiative on this. In my letter, I'm going to remind them about the fact of frivolous claims because we're going to call this Exhibit B, or actually A to my response. Exhibit B will be the video because I'll say when we have the hearing, Judge, I warned them that this video was going to be against his client's position, and I also warned them that we we're going to seek fees, and here's the letter before he filed this lawsuit, and then we're going to attach the video. I will never hear again from Billy's attorney. So Billy's attorney will review it. He will have his client come in. He will explain to him the frivolous claim in Michigan. He will explain to him my new and improved fees. And he will have a long discussion with Billy. Now, about 10% of the time, I will get a new call from Billy's new attorney. You know what I do to Billy's new attorney? I send Billy's new attorney, Billy's old attorney's letter with a new letter. Because I've set them up. I now have exhibit A, B, and C. I will never hear again from Billy's second attorney. But what's the moral of this? I knew about it because when we were going through this process, 
you told me that you have a problem with Billy. So I was able to use the tools in my toolbox to address that. What else have I done? I've saved your estate a tremendous amount of legal fees. And if we would have been sued, I probably got your money back. And what we've done is we've gotten rid of years of hassle. But I wouldn't have known that unless he would have told me about Bill in the very beginning. This is not the time to be meek. When you bring in your goals, one of your goals is take care of Billy. Right? The only thing that I can help you with is what I know about. Or anybody. Either of the two pastors here, either of the attorneys that work for the conference. They can't help you unless you let them know. And, you know, that's really one of the big things. Life is about not only communication, but it's about relationships, right? If you don't trust the person that you're dealing with, don't deal with it. And that's why I like being here. I accepted the position because I heard about their program. It is a really good program that the conference has. Um, and, you know, I recommend that you at least look into it, think about it. And, you know, one of the key takeaways I want you to think about here is just do something. If you've got documents already, review them. If you don't have documents, set up your plan. When are you going to start? <coughs> Perfect. Well, I've taken so much of your time. I appreciate the extra time. Let's close with prayer. And if anybody has questions, we'll talk afterwards. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, as we come into your Sabbath, we ask that you... Guide us not only for the rest of this day, but we want to put our hearts right. Lord, we ask that you just give an outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto this campus as we come into Sabbath. And Lord, be with our speaker for the next portion of camp meeting. And Lord, we also ask for traveling mercies on those individuals that will be coming for the weekend. And we ask for safety as we tear camp down on Sunday, and we ask that you be with those individuals that are traveling on Sunday. Lord, we just thank you for the many, many blessings that you give us, both great and small. And we know everything that comes from your throne is a blessing. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.